Well, immediate follow-up should be noted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last week, I was brutally accused of potentially having had alcohol before the before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, this time I've definitely had a lot of alcohol. <laughs> I also uh, have some follow-up. All right, great. Uh, uh, to be smitten and to be smote are both equally acceptable, as in the uh, past tense of to smite. But uh, smitten these days has romantic connotations, so smote would probably be the most appropriate. Mm, all right, okay, okay. That's good to know. Uh, I suppose the only other follow-up is uh, not even follow-up from the podcast. It is from the stream. Somebody brought up the, the name Velcro Men and has amused me the entire week. Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was um, Fear Stakes erroneously called us the Felcro Men, and uh, it's a much better name to be honest. Is uh, it too it's, late? It's too late. It's unfortunately yeah. far too late. There's the branding is gone. All the branding is gone already. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's that's a that's a perfectly fair point. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do the plug. It's ad time. Yeah, that's right. Barely ten minutes in, it's time to do an ad. <laughs> that's how it for works, ourselves. Right? <laughs> If uh, if you if you're enjoying the podcast, but would like to listen to it with friends and or listen to some of our voices and join us while we play games, absolutely check out Twitch.tv/VectorManLive. The uh, we're recently uh, I mean we're getting up to Halloween at time of recording, so we've been playing spooky games, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, me and Lawrence were both together experiencing my uh, me playing Resident Evil Seven just the other night. And mm-hmm. it was it was a great time was had by all, and I'm sure all all the details are going to be in the podcast at some point once you know we've hit a point where there's something like specific to talk about. But uh, if you if you like the Fector Men, the Felcro Men, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> would <laughs> would like to spend slightly more personal time with them, by all means follow us on Twitch. It'll be fun. Follow us if you would if you would like to hear us in a vastly more intimate tone of voice as Lee is just scared of waking up his wife who's in the next room while he streams. <laughs> then by all men, go into twitch.tv slash Live. You're fuck. You're so scathing. <laughs> That's two, two episodes for two. I don't even mind it. It gives it a nice Bitter cozy criticism. feel. I think you're, you're speaking in like the sort of hushed tones of like a, a late night jazz radio I, TV I, series. Like, hey, cats, what's going on? I've got some Miles Davis coming in for you. I'm I know. Like, hey, you know what? I'm, on, I'm only I'm only harping on it because I know you're right. I, I am trying to, to be more comfortable doing that. I, I know Maria doesn't give a shit, so it's it's really me. It's me being cautious of a lifetime of being told my my indoor voice sounds much like an outdoor voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm trying to sort of push the levels bit by bit so at time of recording i'm still in the midst of a hey guys welcome to resident evil 7 <laughs> we're gonna have a scary time uh but you know hopefully i'll get to uh pewdiepie levels eventually <laughs> of screaming. it seems to be the the thing to do now have you considered getting one of those weird padding things that uh youtubers like to stick on their walls in order to help the acoustics maybe that'll help 
<laughs> even if it, even if it's purely as a as a placebo that allows you to speak louder in its yeah, presence. Yeah, well, that, that's true. No, I mean my house is fine. I should be able to speak at full volume and and not panic. It's it's literally just me. I keep asking Maria every time. Uh, am I being too loud? Was that stream too loud? Was this podcast too loud? And uh, so far, nothing has come back. She's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh, so <laughs> I was asleep. I guess it's working. Exactly. So I have to. It's 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 really down to slowly pushing my own uh, perception of my own voice in in indoors because uh, I, I've worked a long time at trying to quiet down my very booming loud voice, which is my average voice. Uh, and now you're in you're in the podcast business. Now you gotta, yeah, be I gotta, booming gotta push and it back up. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, twitch.tv slash live. Check us out. All right, so I I came to a conclusion, a conclusion of our lifelong struggle, Lawrence. The weekly dilemma. The weekly dilemma, yes, indeed. Which first, news or this week? And I well, finally decided. You've hit upon a solution. I've hit upon a reason to choose, and it's going to be this week then news because even though one week may be heavier than the other, and that's why we've been kind of tossing them around, seeing which one. Mm-hmm might be better uh what i realized last week and what i also realized from having uh uploaded old episodes to uh twitch.tv slash you're really pushing it uh working the brand working the brand <laughs> working the brand uh i've enjoyed the episodes where we do the week first more because the news on general exhausts me sooner okay between depressive news which we often focus on and Mm -hmm. just generally keeping up with (laughs) whatever's going on the week is easier to talk about i'm more prepared to talk about it it keeps my energy level more or less constant right through the segment so that when we get to news i'm i'm as energized as if i had just started the podcast i see but if we do it the other way around i'll be depleted and then when we get to this this week and what we've been doing uh i'm going into it quite depleted and uh, and a little bit wary and i have to work my energy back up man it avoids a situation where uh, you're only about 20 minutes into the podcast and already you're glancing at the remaining time going, exactly they exactly and that's just what the news does i've never had that feeling uh talking about what we've been playing so that's why i think we should start with it's our week very well but which of us shall go first it'll be <laughs> it's always it's, it's, it's always good me. one lawrence good one yeah uh, <laughs> So what have you been doing this week? Tyranny, tyranny. is complete. Oh, you I did finished, it! I finished Tyranny. Well done. And uh, I, I realized as I came into the, the third act of this game, why it was that this game was as comparatively short as it was compared to Pillars of Eternity and other CRPGs of its ilk. Okay. And that is because this game, I don't want to say expects you to, that's not the right word. It encourages you to replay it. This is meant to be a replayable game, very easily replayable. Uh, oh, very easily replayable. That's that's a key point. Well, by CRPG standards, yeah. I mean, it's 45 hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, mo- most RPGs are like a hundred hours long, <laughs> so uh, if you were to play this game twice but make different choices, you would be getting more of a complete experience. And so, uh, so what dawned on you on this? Did you did you realize you got to the end and realized this could have worked out entirely differently? I think it was more that by that point in the game, I had I had gotten the feel for the uh, the the grooves that you're meant to run through on the way to the end. And uh, I was like, oh, I could have done this here, and I could have done this here, and it would have been a completely different play session, 
And then uh, all the choices that you make all sort of funnel into a central point at the end of the game. And I was like, ah, okay, I see now. Okay, well, I, maybe maybe this is maybe this is where uh, Obsidian's design philosophy has kind of shifted a little bit in recent times when they've been working on games like uh, the Outer Worlds. And why why I've had so much to compare to Tyranny with the Outer Worlds. It's because they've kind of tried to bridge the gap a little bit more than even we realized in the moment was that they were mm-hmm. trying to essentially combine what they did for Fallout New Vegas in which you could play an entirely different character set with an entirely different outcome compared to most CRPGs, which is it's a long-winded story. There are lots of things to do, but generally um, up until the very end, it's it's very much uh, a linear progression. My, uh, my data points for Obsidian are KOTOR 2, Pillars of Eternity, and Tyranny. So I'm not really in a position to make any kind of speculation as to their storytelling strategy or how Mm -hmm. it has shifted over time. Mm -hmm. I will say this is that this is something that could only really work with a game of this length because uh, there's no way on hell that anyone's (laughs) going to be replaying a game that's $100 long. (laughs) Of course. To give you a more tangible idea of what I'm talking about here, I mentioned last week about how I had come to favor the disfavored faction, which are the Mm -hmm. pseudo- Roman Legion faction, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Scarlet Chorus, which were more the, you know, the undisciplined the horde. Yes, the War Boys. As it turns out, there are four main ways, four main story Ooh. paths that you can take in order when playing this game. One is is to do what I have done with the disfavored. The other is to side primarily with the cor- the Scarlet Chorus. The third is to side with the rebels and try to unite all the uh, battling factions of rebels under one banner, which I didn't do because why would you? Uh, and the fourth is uh, perhaps the one that I was most likely to go for had I not went for the one I currently did, which is the what the game describes as the anarchist route, where you spurn both factions and just go your own way. The I can't be I can't be bothered to engage with what's happening route. <laughs> More like the I can't stand these people; they're fucking incompetent. I don't want to have to deal with them. I'm just going to do my own thing and then kick their asses later. Here's where the... I'm going to try and keep this not too spoilerific because you might play this at some point and maybe the the listener might be titillated enough to play it themselves. Yeah, certainly. So the main structure of the story is that Act 1, you arrive, you proclaim the edict that says everyone get your shit together within eight days or Mm. you're all going to die. And Act 1 ends with uh, you choosing a side and them breaking through to the other side. (laughs) At which point the edict is resolved, something that very rarely happens and you're considered to be very noteworthy for having done it. And uh, the the war between the two factions breaks out and you're tasked with investigating the people in charge, the Archons, as well as quashing rebellion in various parts of the continent. Cue Act 2. Act 2. You go through the various parts of the country, depending on which faction you sided with, you will be working with them in order to quell rebellion in whatever way that faction deems appropriate. Hmm. Until you do all of this and the conflict comes to a head and you must take the fight to the other faction in order to defeat them in favor of your faction. And then Act 3 stuff happens. Uh, Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. (laughs) Uh, You will be called to court under Tunon. Yes, as as you alluded last week. Yes, Tunon will say to you, all right, now you must justify the actions that you took in order to achieve your objectives. Hmm. And is there anything that you would like to bring to the court's attention regarding the two archons? At which point, depending on how much evidence you They're have, you can stitch them up. idiots. <laughs> yeah, you can stitch them up. 
Although I have to say, I disagreed very thoroughly with the way that this question is posed to you. Tunon says to you, which of the Archons do you believe to be the most guilty? You have three options. One is Graven Ash, head of the disfavored, is the most guilty, or the most guilty of causing dissent and sedition sure, and whatnot. Sure, yeah. The voices of Narat, the head of the Scarlet Chorus, he is the most guilty. And the third one is, they are both equally at fault. And this is where I ran into trouble, because... Whilst I do believe them to be both incompetent or untrustworthy in their own ways, one of them is very, very worse than the other. Okay. Like, the Voices Narat is a psycho who cannot be trusted in any capacity whatsoever, <laughs> and he's sufficiently powerful enough for him to be a serious threat to just about everybody, whilst Graven Ash is just kind of incompetent sometimes, mm. and is a little bit racist, and I have evidence that he's up to no good, but that's it. So it's it's not a very deep question. No, there, there's no fourth option that says both of them, but one of them worse than the other. Now, I, I said last week that I didn't really know where the plot was going, mm. but uh, now that I've completed it, I have a, a better hindsight idea of what they were going for and how it was meant to pan out. Okay. I think it was mostly my trouble was understanding the way that the Kairos hierarchy was supposed to work, because Kairos is very loosey-goosey with how internal politics is sorted out. <laughs> and it very frequently result in situations where I was asking myself, is what I'm doing sanctioned? Is this okay? Is what I'm doing okay? Because uh, okay. You, So you were you were kind of tiptoeing around decisions in case Kairos came down on uh-huh. you for just doing what you thought was your job. This is one thing that I can level against the game, one serious criticism, and that is it doesn't happen often. I didn't feel it often, I should say. But there are some definite moments of railroading in the this the the second act of this game railroading for those who don't know is in interactive storytelling mediums is where the game forces you to go down a certain story path even though it would be contrary to your own wishes or mm. the wishes of the character that you're playing that's so you're effectively being stuck down a track like it only goes in one direction that's mm. railroading because i throw my lot in with the the disfavored the, there's a certain assumption that i agree with what oh, like, what right, those people okay. are doing but uh-huh. I'm not really. Now you can you can offer some token resistance. Where like to give a minor spoiler, uh, in the third country there's an edict that's constantly causing earthquakes. This is also the the home headquarters of the Scarlet Chorus. So the disfavored get to the 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 quote unquote corpse of the Archon of Stone, which is like still hanging in there. He's like comatose. That's like you know this is the Archon of Stone. He's really powerful. We could. Reverse the polarity, yada yada yada, techno babble, in order to kill him, end the edict, but permanently blight this land in order to starve out the, the Scarlet Chorus and spite the voices in the rat, and it could be very helpful in defeating them. And I'm like, no, that's a that stupid plan. Seems like a a, a drastic overact. <laughs> that seems like a vastly short-sighted plan, considering the whole point of this conquest was to annex these lands, and now you're going to blight them forever. Uh-huh. That seems really unwise. And you can bring this up with Grave and Ash, where, he be, where if you have a high enough favor with him, he'll be like, what do you think of this plan? And you'll go, this is not a very good plan. It's very <laughs> short-sighted. And he'll be like, hmm, I've taken your things into consideration. I have elected to do it anyway. Go ahead with it. What? At which point, uh, you'll have no choice, but uh, if you're on this quest line... Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And you can grumble about it, but you'll still do it. And then uh, <laughs> wasting what, valuable fucking hours of your resources, life. <laughs> yes. And uh, the game does offer breakpoints for you to go 
fuck this, I'm not hanging out with you guys anymore, I'm going to break an alliance with you. If I had known from the outset that there was four main threads that you could take in order to get to the end of the story, I would have probably broken an alliance with them before. Hmm. But every time the option of, get out of here, I'm in charge now, break alliance, was available, I always assumed that that was the, the treason route, where you were mm. effectively, openly define the, the way of Kairos. I, I, I think I would be very very similar in this approach. I, I'd uh-huh. be absolutely panicking. Can I say no and not get s- smote? I, I was like, well, I don't want to defy Kairos. Not because I like think him. that he's <laughs> I, I actually, I do generally like the regime. Because, hey, <laughs> that's not a good... That's, that's a, not, it's not a great opinion to have. Bad soundbite. Cursed soundbite. Yeah, that'll come back to bite me for my political career in about uh, 10 years' yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. In any case, <laughs> it's the Bronze Age, mm. and Kairos, whilst dictatorial, his laws or her, his or her laws are not all that unfair for the time period. They're pretty fair for their time. They're pretty fucking egalitarian for the time. And it's just, uh, it's because you're in the middle of the conquest, which is the unseemly part, that uh, things look bad. Mm. But uh, Kairos, eh. They seem alright in my book. In any case, I didn't want to either, because it was in character, and because I didn't want to get smote, I didn't want to defy Kairos. I wanted to just be a, a good, impartial public servant <laughs> to the Kairos administration. <laughs> uh, so yeah, every time the option to betray Alliance, I assumed it was the, the Kairos Alliance and not the with the Disfavored. So you never know quite where you stand, Kairos-wise. Mm. Only his proxies, and they have their own agendas. So you can never be quite sure, mm, is this okay, is this kosher? You can never be a completely confident. Mm-hmm. All you ha- can do is just make your choices and then try to justify them to tune on later on. However, whilst I was grumbling to myself about, oh, this is this is bullshit, I, this guy isn't my boss, fuck this guy. Uh, the third act, I'm going to speak in very broad terms here, okay. does a lot in order to ameliorate my feel bad regarding this decision. Because uh, things escalate. And because it's a very choose-your-own, you can choose, oh, I will fight against these people, I will work with these people, yada, yada, yada. So I'm quite happy with the way the things turned out in the end for me, which is why I'm not all that inclined to replay it. Not merely because <laughs> of, you know, it wouldn't really great, be great for the podcast, but I'm actually quite happy with where my character ended up and how right, the story ended good. for me. Now, I teased at it earlier with uh, Kairos. We w- sort of whiff-waffled about regarding Kairos's gender. Yeah. Okay, so I like the way that the game goes about doing this because so most people ever say the Conqueror or Kairos or the Overlord and speak of Kairos in those terms. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you'll have a few characters say, oh, Kairos, when he came to this place, he did this because male is kind of the assumed default gender for, you know, globetrotting evil overlords. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. But later on, you, you get a character who's a lot older, who you only hear, who you only really speak to over the course of missives that you send through Carrier Pigeon, like an old Fatebinder who's retired, who uses <laughs> female pronouns. And you're like, ah, here we go. Oh, Karis must be a woman then, right? So then you, at another point, meet an Archon called Siren, the Archon of Song. And she's actually met Kairos. And she starts speaking about Kairos in feminine terms. And you're like, fine. And then the very next sentence starts using male pronouns. Ooh, excellent. So, so like she's flip flopping between saying him and her and him and her, she, he, etc., etc. 
And uh, you're like, oh, okay, game, come on, come on. So you say to her, steady on there, Siren. You just used masculine and feminine pronouns. What gives? What's the deal? And Siren just turns to you and goes, well, you're her fate binder, right? You've met her, haven't you? Oh, you haven't? Oh, so you don't know? Hmm. I guess I'll just keep mum in order to preserve the secret. And you're like, fine. All right. Maybe, maybe it's like, so, okay, so it's been made ambiguous purpose. Maybe it's a, maybe it's like a doorman kind of deal, you know? It could be a doorman kind of deal. Uh, in fact, you get, when you speak to Tunon later in the game, he also speaks of our, in, of Kairos in multi-gender terms, and you can ask him about it, and he will very icily say to you, Kairos is above such petty dualities. <laughs> Great! So you're like, so you're like, all right, all right, all right well, cool. That's good. Yeah, neat. <laughs> Hell, Kairos. <laughs> Anything else for this week, Lawrence? Oh yes, one last thing. Uh, university started up again, so Ooh, uh, shit. <laughs> don't worry about it. There'll be. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of project work over the course of the next few months. However, this means that I will be shifting my Vectorman playtime. From long-form entertainment, such as multi-dozen-hour-long CRPGs, to more short-form entertainment, which I think should result in a more diverse amount of content coming from my week. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, I have to thank you, Lee, of course, for for my birthday buying me a couple of walking simulators <laughs> that should that uh, that that will make for very excellent break glass in case of emergency content. Great. At some point. <laughs> and of course we've got the racial equality bundle, which we've been holding on to for months and months and months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I only remember this week, too. Mm-hmm. From listening to older content on Vectorman Live. That's twitch.tv. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, one last aside. Well, I say one last aside. I don't know. Maybe it'll be the, the only the mo- beginning the first of, the, of many the, more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lee mentioned earlier how Halloween is coming up. Yes. Uh, I may play Amnesia Machine for Pigs during October at some point. You did mention this in the previous podcast, I believe. I don't think I committed to it, but I'm committing to it now. Good. Yes, because I've already told people on Twitch you would do it. (laughs) Oh, well, how serendipitous then. (laughs) I said, okay, so I've started playing Resident Evil. Uh, therefore, Lawrence must commit to playing Amnesia uh, a Machine for Pigs. <laughs> I feel, I feel, well, hmm, well, that's fine. I was going to do it anyway. I'm not doing it because you told me to. No, Kairos told us both. Oh, yeah. Kairos proclaimed an edict that Lawrence must play Amnesia Machine for Pigs by the end of October or we'll all be blown up. Well, better get on it. Hail Kairos. Uh, my week, I've got two cubby holes. Uh, let's start with Dark Souls cubby hole. Why not? Hooray! Here we are. It took three full sessions, but I've done it. I'm through Sans Funhouse. Hooray! Yes, yes. Did you beat the uh, the golem? Hey, the iron golem. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And I did it in one go. Very well done. Which well is done. A, a fucking miracle because I ran out of Estes just as I pushed through the fucking white fog. <laughs> Did you uh, did you summon Black Iron Tarkus? I have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm going to say no. All right, so uh, 
if you're human while you go through the level. Never. Right? Well, (laughs) you should consider doing that sometimes because uh, right before the boss battle, there's usually a lot of summon signs to help you summon help Uh, with the boss battle. Okay, uh uh-huh. This will either be other players or it'll be NPCs that have been placed there. That makes sense. One of these NPCs, the NPC for right before the Iron Golem, is a guy called Black Iron Tarkus. Black Iron Tarkus has taken on mimetic status amongst the Dark Souls fandom because he can kill the boss for you. Oh. There is a very real chance, in fact, I would say that it's about 40% chance that if you summon Black Iron Tarkus and lead him into the arena with the Iron Golem, and then just, you know, kick back, relax, you know, have a drink, he'll probably have it sorted for you. In fact, he may, in fact, push the Golem off the arena to its death. Black Iron Tarkus is a stone-cold badass. That's excellent to hear. Only slightly mired by the the fact that I did it myself, meaning that an absolute moron can beat the Iron <laughs> Yes, I didn't want to say, but he is considered quite easy, yeah. generally speaking, in the in that in the tier list. Let me once again iterate that I had no Estus Flask going into this fight, and I still beat him. So, <laughs> and especially since we've been fighting sort of giants the whole way through uh, the mm. Funhouse, you're you're pretty much already aware of what he can do and how he can move. So there's not. Not a lot to it. There's not much different from the guys throwing, chucking the chucking the bombs. Have the treasure chests been treating you well? I I only had one death by a mimic. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're mimics. And uh, that was it. Made an impression. It? Yeah, it was entertaining certainly. Uh, but then I came back and when I ended up in that area, I was like, "That's the guy." <laughs> Beat his ass and took what was in him. There, are, there are ways to discern a mimic from a regular treasure chest on site, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'll let you figure out them out. I feel like you might be able to lock on. No, you can't lock on the mimics. Ooh, okay. Not while they're hidden, anyway. Uh, I want to ex- explain my stress in the next portion of uh, Dark Souls, which was going to the land of Anorlando. Oh yeah. My stress was, I beat this boss, and instead of having the opportunity to, I don't know, get to some sort of bonfire and recuperate, I was immediately Mm -hmm. picked up by demons and Mm -hmm. dragged somewhere else. You were sequestered away to a magical land. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was a miracle I had survived long enough to actually beat the boss of Sen's Funhouse to, to deserve some sort of relief, because I never found the bonfire in the Funhouse uh, so I, I, this was, this was all I had. This is everything I had was going into this, uh, victory. So many souls. <laughs> exactly. Especially since, yeah, when he dies, he gives you like 40,000 souls or something like that. So the stress mounted to exponential levels. And these demons, I, like, I was on so little health, I thought that the, the cutscene that dropped me onto the platform of Anorlando would kill me just from fall damage. Oh. You're sitting on that magic pixel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh my god, can I die in, a, in a, like a cutscene? Which I wouldn't put past Dark Souls. Uh, I survived. Mm. So the next panic was, where the fuck am I? How do I find a bonfire? There's gotta be one. There's gotta be one. There's a whole new place. I can't even go back easily. I, there's gotta be a, There's gotta be a bonfire. Did you source a bonfire? I did find a bonfire. I found what the bonfire. And I found it before dying. But it was not without its stress. Because the moment that you enter, the first thing you see in Ad Orlando, besides a gorgeous view of a cathedral city sprawling into the distance, uh, is a giant golem-like character at the foot of the steps 
who, as I later found out, you could awake and could beat you to death very easily. Mm. But I was so cautious walking around them and the several other iterations of them just hanging around the same rooms that uh, I didn't... Terrified to touch anything. Exactly, that I didn't stir any of them. But That's the real Dark Souls experience, if you ask me. Low on health, you don't know where the next bonfire is, don't touch anything. <laughs> exactly. What's worse is that the bonfire in this area is one of four directions. I took the opposite mm-hmm. direction at uh, first classic. and landed in a sort of area with a lot of precariousness involved and a gargoyle staring me in the face. And, mm. you know, the panic sets in. You're like, they wouldn't put the bonfire behind the gargoyle, would they? <laughs> you know, they wouldn't do this as one last kick in the teeth. But no, they didn't, mercifully. I can, I can confirm for anybody who's afraid in this particular scenario that... Uh, one of the other four directions has the bonfire. Just figure it out. But uh, Did you get there without losing any souls? I got there without losing any souls. Ah, delightful. The, the relief. I just, I, I couldn't move on until you had answered that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tension. <laughs> Such wild empathy. That's my problem, Lee. I just care too much. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so having made it to my, my new beautiful um, firekeeper bonfire with a new beautiful firekeeper with a new beautiful firekeeper absolutely i i I am at home at an orlando um i've been making my way through it i haven't played much further uh i beat the gargoyle i I inevitably worked out where the fuck to go after that because it looks like a cold ass dead end uh it's not a cold ass dead end not to give it away but uh look around uh Mm. you might just find a sign from a friend (laughs) <laughs> look around and you may in fact find that somebody has told you the answer <laughs> exactly that's the beauty of dark souls that's the whole that's the whole idea somebody has figured this out first follow their intuition what beautiful trailblazers they are so i climbed into a church i was attacked by the kkk mm-hmm. and uh kicked some of their asses perilously made my way through the rafters fought some uh devil boys devil 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 men crybabies of course. And uh, maybe basically didn't make it much further than that because I got harpooned by people off screen. Oh, uh, yeah. You have reached quite possibly my favorite part of this game that isn't the boss. And it's the Anorlando Archers. Oh, yeah? Uh, the Anorlando Archers are mimetic <laughs> in their unassailability and complete disregard for any of the conventions of war whatsoever they are bullshit <laughs> like uh if 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 the rest of the game was like these two these two knights just two knights have strategically placed themselves in such a way to be as much of an inconvenience as possible mm-hmm. if the rest of the game like this was like this it would be impossible it would be intolerable nobody would like this game but because it's just these two guys in this one very specific spot, and once you get past them, you never have to worry about them again, it has become legend, these two guys. That makes a lot of sense, because I thought, you know, hanging around in the same area, I thought they would let up at some point. They do not fucking let up. (laughs) Foolishnessly. I guess you're you're indoctrinated by the the dark guys in in, uh, Blighttown. You know, like, Mm. they're, they're assholes, they're constant, but, you know, you can work out a rhythm. You can't work out a rhythm with these guys. There's no rhythm. They're relentless. There is a rhythm, but there are some tricks to it. There's like 
one too many tricks to getting past these guys. If you know the trick, you can do it, but there's one too many tricks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, uh, what weapon are you using? Is it a big one? No, it's not. It's Good, because uh, quite possibly the most humiliating way to die in this game is to run up to the one on the right and swing your big weapon. And because of the way that the of the the geometry of like the architecture, uh, your weapon hits the building, oh, yeah. not the guy, and you bounce right off into oblivion. Oh wow! Yeah, you, you can your weapon can bounce off the the building, oh, no. and you can just fall to your death, and it is the most embarrassing thing in the world. This is a this is a very recent thing. I've just come over. Uh, uh, this actually happened on on stream uh, when I was uh, making my way through Sen's funhouse. I finally, finally have ditched my starting weapon, which oh. up until now had done me quite a, quite a distance. It is still quite good. Uh, Serviceable. Uh, I have the scimitar, which is a very, very decent weapon, I think. Uh, it's very versatile um, mm -hmm. and uh, very easy to level up in terms of damage as well. So it's it's been quite good. Uh, I even made it a magic scimitar for a while until I realized that it kind of actually hurt its stats. So I just put it back to normal scimitar. Uh but uh, when in uh, Sense Funhouse, I finally found a weapon that was a, a, an overall buff, uh, mm -hmm. which was a lightning spear. Ah, uh, yes, okay. Uh, when, and you know what? Not even... I was kind of hesitant to adopt this, because I, 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 at this point, you're so far into the game, you've grown attached so to your policy. weapon. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You've... You've, uh, you've, you, you feel like the part of the game involves you beating the entire thing with the scimitar. You've been on such a journey. Mm. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, there was one major factor, aside from a slight damage increase from this lightning sphere. And that came in the fact that I collided less off geometry. Oh, yeah. The scimitar is that a very whooshy, swishy weapon. That's the uh, that's the appeal of spears. Thrust weapons, you just go straight forward. Exactly. You don't have to bounce off the walls. That's their biggest strength. And uh, especially if you, if you have a shield and like a thrust weapon, you're you're sorted. Yeah. Because uh, with spears, you can you can attack whilst holding your shield up. Exactly. That's that that was the kind of, that was the other thing I was afraid wouldn't happen. It's like spears in my head are two-handed weapons. Can I really get mm. away with just? poking people to death uh, yes i can uh absolutely uh and 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 i can i can block i can repartee i mean this is this is wonderful but the, mm. especially in sense funhouse right because the, you know, there's loads of little sections where you come up to say there the, the, these uh serpent men who are kind of mm. like lightning chuckers mm -hmm. tactfully put yeah and uh, what happens is, at least the first one and even a couple of them you often meet in doorways <laughs> And mm. what happens is you swing, you can maybe get one or two hits on them, but the third hit, you're always going to hit the fucking wall. Uh, yeah. And so you need to tactively sort of stop yourself from trying to go for that three combo then go in. Not a problem with the fucking spear, though. One, two, three, straight for the door. Guy's dead. Problem solved. Move on with your fucking life. Don't get hung up on baby bosses. They're not even bosses. They're just actual general rabble. <laughs> uh, mm. So we're getting over that point. Wonderful, splendid, and I can't speak higher of the lightning spear. Uh, so I finally got over that, um, and that turned out to be a blessing because now I'm at. Uh, <laughs> the, this comes over one of the other problems with the fucking scimitar is that it's very easy to form a combo where you basically backflip, 
scimitar is uh is a weapon that kind of has a lot of little intricate moves involved it's a well that's a dex weapon for you yeah yeah exactly right and that's my character load so this makes a lot of sense it's kind of the, the poison i chose was that i'd be a, a flexible boy <laughs> but yeah. the uh the scimitar i've never really truly understood exactly what button press makes me do this but it's very easy to just one, two, and then instead of doing three, backflip away and off of something. And this mm. could have been a nightmare. This has been a nightmare, especially in uh, Sense Funhouse, but on a couple of other occasions where I'd be on tiny narrow bridges and be facing just the wrong direction and already panicking. I'm not facing directly straight. I'm slightly diagonal. Uh, and it's a one, two, and a backflip to my death. <laughs> but you look really cool doing it, oh, right? Oh, yeah, badass. But, mm, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure the, the the serpents were very impressed. Whoa! Yeah, exactly. Each of they cross their arms, their head flies up like man, that guy so cool. Yeah. So I, I this this has been a, a mercy because in An Orlando you spend a little more time than usual in rafters, and mm. uh, you do not want to be backflipping or making any animation that could in any way move you from your desired spot, and spears couldn't be more useful in this scenario because you don't move, you just poke. It's beautiful. What's your what's your roll like? You doing a fat roll or a, a quick roll or what? Uh, I'm very dexterous. Are you wearing heavy armor? Oh no, I'm, I'm light armor. You've got a skinny roll then. I've started slowly putting more points into strength, only for yeah. the sheer fact that there were I was picking up weapons that I basically should have been wielding by this point and haven't been able to because I just ignored the stat. Uh, yeah, so... that, that's what I like to do. I like to. I can't remember which one is it strength or no, it's a uh, endurance. Whichever the one is that you pump in order to increase your uh, equipment load. Yes, that's endurance. Because uh, the higher your equipment load, the heavier weapons and armor you can equip without impacting your ability to, to <laughs> yeah, roll correctly. That's right. I think it's fifty percent is the threshold. Yeah, uh, my endurance is is pretty decent, but uh, at the same time, it's not. It's not. I, I've literally put it all into the dexterity stat. So I am doing good damage on fast weapons. And I've got a slight ability to wear like medium armor or have super light armor with one heavy item. Uh, mm. But I, uh, I, 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 I can't go full heavy or even full medium uh, and, and keep my ruled speed. Uh, yeah, so that's I, always my first priority when I'm leveling up, which is I want to be able to wear what I want. Pop that stat. Yeah, that's that's I realized that halfway through this uh, sort of the halfway point of where I am at now, where I realized that I could put it all into endurance and and start wearing basically all this shit I've picked up. Uh, but I feel I, I had a basically a choice where I could put it all into endurance at this point, or I could put it into strength and get slightly heavier weapons not not armor I, I was happy enough in my role i didn't really care much about the arm i, I like my light armor it's pretty good it's not terrible you know yeah. i've got one i've got a stone helmet and a bunch of fucking robes i look like a fucking weirdo but it's fine <laughs> but uh, i had picked up pretty nice weapons that were also fairly light and i still couldn't wield them and and I was kind of getting irritated by that. So just a little bit of effort into the strength stats, and I'm I'm good. I'm, I feel like I'm in a good place. I'm at level sixty now as my character. So I mean, which I feel like is still slightly overpowered for the area I'm in. We shall see about that. Yeah, I yeah. 
yet to be determined. I mean, mm. what I find out are called the Sentinels are our big stone, are our big bouncer boys in Anor Orlando. They can still clean me out in like two or three hits. So yeah, it's hard to say, really. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's basically where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Anor Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> pretty isn't it huh oh man it's gorgeous oh that's that's the one thing i thought i forgot to bring up specifically about an orlando remember uh i think maybe episode three or four uh mm-hmm. when i said when i was kind of dipping in and out on whether i'm going to play dark souls and i said i had seen footage from my friend annie clark that was a little later on in the game and uh and inspired me to really stick with this and and, and continue the cubby hole I suspected that it would be Anna Orlando. It makes an impression, huh? It sure does. It sure does. And that's exactly what it was. So I actually feel like um, I've achieved what was my my biggest goal going into this, which was to just get this far. What's good is by the time I made it to this point, I'm by no means done with Dark Souls. I'm very excited mm-hmm. to see what the fuck is next. And I was advised by Andy Clark at this point <laughs> that uh, Anna Orlando was kind of a midpoint. It, was, it wasn't a spoiler in his words. Uh, hmm. which, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree for the simple fact that I needed that to continue with this, this experience. You needed that carrot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I've got the carrot, and now, by, by this point, I've already established that there are, are at least 20 more carrots more that I want to see. And mm. uh, that, therefore, makes it a solid argument for having generally some sort of carrot. <laughs> and I mean, usually... In the case of people who were into Dark Souls in the first wave, I'm going to say that they either seen the trailer that was like, oh, there's a lot of cool shit in this, and I never saw any of that, or they were part of the first wave of people playing the game, and therefore, you know, there was a big communal push, uh, and the memes caught them over. I missed all of this. I missed the entire big push to Dark Souls, you know, and uh, so it was... It took a lot to explain to me why I, I, I should keep playing, you know, and just in sort of aesthetic terms. Uh, hmm. what, what was in it for me as a person who had no basis of what the hell even enjoying a game that was difficult meant why, why should I play and the next best route I've found is there's cool shit to look at and Anna Orlando that's cool shit to look at uh, yeah, so it's one of those unfortunate situations where it's cool and you should keep playing and there's great stuff later on but I can't tell you about it Yeah, where the, the, carrot, is, the carrot is obfuscated which is fine if you're someone like me who knows that the carrot's going to be there so you can enjoy it as it comes. But if you need motivation to continue, that can be very frustrating. Just get a picture of some cool shit and point at it and go, look at this cool shit. Exactly. And if they, and if they go, damn, that's some cool shit, you've got them. You're in. Moving on to cubbyhole number two. We're back at the Witcher. That's yeah. right. Which which Witcher cubbyhole number two? This is the second Witcher cubbyhole. We're still doing the Witcher cubbyhole. <laughs> I'm glad because uh, in my show notes, I've had the phrase Witcher. I barely even know her sitting there for weeks <laughs> with no opportunity to use it whatsoever. And what I can only assume uh... is the the oldest joke in the English language regarding this franchise that there is. Well, I'm still playing the Witcher. I'm actually really enjoying it. I'm sure you are. <laughs> 40 gold for sex pictures? Yeah, I'm in. I know. What, what, what a ripoff. In this day and age? 
Uh, it's not exactly what I call a deep game. Now that I'm a little further in, like all RPGs, mm-hmm. it's a a little dense at first, uh, and because it's an older game, it's also you know got that unintuitive jank from the earlier years, the lesser years, the classic years, the Dark we call Ages, them. if you like. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. But if you've dabbled in anything from I don't know RuneScape to Neverwinter Nights, you probably know you know the score. One thing that does stand out to me though, which is dragging out the experience is the complete lack of fast travel. Ah, but, okay. But, to be honest, I wouldn't call it a negative. Does it allow you to get more immersed in the world, having the travel long distances? That's right, Lawrence. <laughs> Look, I mean, like, you give me fast travel, and we're, I, I'm at this point, most games will. I'm going to use it. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the, well, I mean, if there's convenience and quality of life convenience, if that's the right phrase, then you're going to use it. Even if it, if it does have some kind of nebulous attribute or some nebulous quality that's being taken away from the game as a result of it you're still going to use it because i mean what are you going to do just waste all that time walking no way exactly exactly and the witcher is the kind of game that if it had fast travel i would use it and use it unsparingly uh Mm. because almost all its quests are kind of walking around like at currently right i'm in chapter two and uh that puts me in the town of fizima and this entire chapter is about basically solving a murder mystery, kind of, sort of, Ooh. a little bit. Uh, which means you're actively given quest lines that are just verifying whether certain characters are as guilty as you think they are. And and mm, writing off suspects right. as, are you guilty, are you not? And that means just branching out into a bunch of mini walking around the town quest to talk to people or find evidence just to basically write people off as either guilty involved or totally innocent wrong time wrong place uh, all right or somewhere in between what this entails gameplay wise is essentially walking from a to b on the map constantly constantly you walk out of a place you just you're just walking to more places and you're around this town and this town it is condensed i guess you know, like, right. there are about 20 active buildings in it, and I wouldn't say it's, like, a fucking... Sprawling metropolis. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, it's closer to, like, Whiterun in Skyrim, you know, if you know what mm, I mean. You know, okay. there there's kind of a couple of tiers to it, and there are a bunch of active buildings. Uh, basically, it's not unreasonable to be thinking, I need to walk from A to B in this place. It doesn't feel like every time you're doing something like, oh, that's a mile away, it's going to take forever, I'll pick something else. Every time you're like, that's perfectly acceptable, it's just going to take two minutes of my life. But you do this for almost every single bit of every single quest, and there are about ten active quests in the town, and four of which are required to be solved before moving on, I believe. See, this is where the, the brain worms start to make their presence known. Because I'd be like, you know, I have Professor Layton in the back of my head going, what's the most efficient route that you could take mm. to get through this town and do all these quests? Right. Oh, boy, gee whiz, I don't know, Professor, let's find out. And I spent ten minutes just worrying about that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think in most cases we, we are inclined to do the same when we don't have fast travel. Just think of every time you played... Uh, uh, Ocarina of Time, for example. You you, you mm. roll your way through the town. It's not diegetic. It doesn't make any sense in the world, but you're rolling your way through the place, and you're also cutting corners and figuring out the fastest staircases and the fastest jump routes just to get mm-hmm. from A to B so that you don't have to fuck around and, and just potter your way through the crowds. Oh, I don't even mean that. I mean, I'm looking at the quest list going, this is in this house, and this is in this house, Whoa. and this is in this house. 
What order should I do these in relative to where I am right now in order to save the amount of walking as possible? I agree. The best way to do this is to figure out how to rule figuratively, which is to figure out which quests are closer to your position that could be solved before moving from building to building. It's still a, a, a heck of a lot of trekking around. <laughs> heck of a lot of trekking. A heck of a lot of trekking. <laughs> but as you, as you alluded... I'm also totally on board with this. I, I feel like The Witcher has reminded me that there are games that could probably benefit from not having fast travel. Hmm. It's all it's it's all part of the immersion. Absolutely, and I mean the game's tourism, if you like. <laughs> sure, said Lawrence, stepping on dangerous territory. Don't do this, Lords. Uh, <laughs> aside from immersion, we're 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 busy people. Yeah. In general, we've, we've got, got places to be. We've got places to be. We've got stuff going on. And also, we run a podcast. Meta- 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 metaphorically speaking. Sure. Uh, I think most tangibly for the viewers' sake, and if they don't want to get too deep into our living lives, we have to do this podcast, which means that, you know, we don't like going into an, a whole week without any new content, any anything that's that doesn't feel fresh in our own brains. Mm, yeah, there's a there's a a sword of Damocles hanging over our head at any given yeah. time where we're just trying to enjoy some Yeah, and it's imagined because we don't have your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yes, this is this is a burden that we bear for you, purely hypothetical yeah, listener. Yeah. We're perfectionists in the sense that we imagine people are holding us up to some sort of standard. Consummate professionalism. Oh here at Beckerman. Here at Velcro Men. <laughs> It's important, I believe, to actually experience certain games, to ignore that factor, and actually delve deeper into these kind of things. And yeah. if you give us fast travel, we're going to use it. But if there's the potential to actually just enrich our experience by engaging in the world, it's just all the better that you don't give us that option to just skip that- fast, fast waves of it. <laughs> That was a complaint that uh, a lot of the old guard of the Elder Scrolls series had when uh, they made the jump to Oblivion, and especially to Skyrim. A lot of the old Morrowind players sure. said that uh, there, now, there there was a fast travel system in Morrowind, but it was only along. It was very restricted. Mm-hmm. You had the. It was like Hollow Knight, where you got onto these giant bugs in like yes. a, like a train station system that would take you from very specific places to another. But uh, aside from that, you had the you had the trek it. Yeah. There was a heck of a lot of trekking. <laughs> Absolutely. Fast forward to Oblivion and particularly Skyrim, where fast travel is just a matter of have you been there yet? Okay. Boop. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. a lot of a, a lot of the the sense of scope of the landscape, the sense of journey has been lost. There was a lot of uh, think pieces written up about this of back course. when Skyrim first came out. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's there's been no end of it. I, I actually did a cursory. Uh, search before starting this week's podcast and uh, people are still writing about the fact that fast travel is a blight on modern video game design and I wouldn't say that mm-hmm. much. I, I, I kind of feel sort of half and half about Skyrim for example because the truth is uh, that fast travel is necessary because there's not a lot of interesting things in that world. That's bad design. I agree. Yeah. But you have to have that fast travel to skip that bad design. <laughs> and uh I, I mean, well, another a good example in this case, right? Which also is bad because it's in there is um, uh, Assassin's Creed in general. Uh, the fast travel system, like I don't remember anything really about the details of the Assassin's Creed worlds of the games I've played because fast travel is you. You could say it's kind of doing the Hollow Knight thing where it's very specific points. I, yeah, it's not really though. Like those towns have nothing in them. 
Absolutely. No, I, I think that's just because uh, of the the copy and paste. Well, you know, I don't even think it's fair to say copy and paste, but the, the sameness of each tone. Like, yeah. uh, well, I mean, in Assassin's Creed 2, for instance, you can tell the difference between Florence and Venice. And uh, <laughs> let's see, what was the other one? It was Flo- Forley, I think. Sure. And T- Tuscany as well. Each of those towns have their own individual flavor. But, uh, you know, if you're on one side of Venice, or if you're on the other side of Venice, you wouldn't really be able to tell the difference. Yeah. There's no jump, distinguishing, right? like, features in the cities themselves. Uh, another game that kind of feels like it uses fast travel in the wrong way to me in my head was uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, only because they made a world too big and with little to fuck all in it. Metal Gear Solid Five had two forms of fast travel, if you'll recall. There was the get into your helicopter and then go to a loading screen, then you're in your helicopter menu, and then go into a loading screen, and then turn and then take the really long, arduous, all right, let's get out of the helicopter animation while we load in the world, and then you get out. Uh-huh. And then there was the uh, the delivery points. Scattered throughout the map, there was like little uh, at bases, there were like little orange uh, drop-off points for deliveries that had like a little receipt next to them. Uh-huh. And if you ripped the receipt off and then got into a box and waited a few seconds, That's a prop right. would come up. And then you could just hold circle, and then it would allow you to fast travel to any of the previously accessed delivery points, which was a much more convenient way to get around, I find. It's just that uh, they weren't quite as immediately accessible as the helicopter. Well, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm overstepping it, because uh, Metal Gear Solid Five was a last-minute addition to this list, now that I'm thinking about it, because it does make fast travel deeply unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, the amount of waiting, getting into your helicopter and pulling away, or loading the area in, in your helicopter and getting out, that was quite arduous. It yeah. wasn't until I discovered about two-thirds of the way in that you could just go straight to your helicopter like menu by pausing the game and then going to ACC, uh-huh. which just takes you directly there. And I was like, well, that was a lot of wasted time. So, you know, I think you're you're right. And with Metal Gear Solid Five, that was the mistake of a last-minute addition because um, that is exactly what I'm trying to argue for, which is fast travel that's slightly tedious. Uh, for example... A game that I really love the fast travel of is the Yakuza series. Uh, the Yakuza games have fast travel, but it's it's very minimal. Uh, so you you know it's like you're in whatever that town's called. Ko- <laughs> oh, uh, Kamarocho. Kamarocho, well remembered. I don't even play the game. Exactly, they're so infamous you don't have to, and yet if you play them for some reason, if you have my brain, you don't even remember the fucking name of the place. There is a fast travel system. It's there are taxis, but they're at the very edge of the map, and they only take you to other edges of the map. And everything mm. interesting or related to contents or stories are right in the middle of the map all the time. So yeah, got to sprint. <laughs> exactly. So you can level up your sprinting and stuff like that. That's fine. But more importantly, if you were trying to get immediately to a point, very rarely will the taxis get you right there. What often the case is you are you only take the taxis when you're so far away from the point that it would benefit you to walk to the other end of the map to get a taxi that would get you slightly closer to the opposite end of the map. <laughs> It probably helps that uh, that game has random encounters and sort of expects you to be walking around so it can spring things on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that system works fairly well. Uh, another system I think works that came, came to mind I thought was a slightly arbitrary fast travel system but actually does do the job well is uh, the one in Red Dead Redemption. I'm not sure if you recall this, 
but I do. There's like little like wagon wheels lying around that you can walk up to, and it'll take you to the towns. Oh well, yeah, sure. That's not what I'm actually talking about. The um, that that does make sense in terms of getting to focal points, and the same. I feel is in Skyrim that they decided to not use as the only way to fast travel, which is the the, the the carrier guy, the wagon guy. Same thing. He's outside every time, and he'll take you to the next town. And that's a good way to get around. But for some reason, they decided to double down and have him and fast travel to any location. Oh, yeah, that, that makes him completely redundant. Exactly. The only, purpose that, the only purpose that guy serves is you haven't made it to that town yet. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so if you're you in use a... them once they get to the next town, and then never again. Which, I mercifully, I I didn't know he was in the game until the second time I played it, because otherwise he would have ruined the game, right? Because you don't know where the towns are, and you don't, yeah, don't be- want to know the where best... the towns are. You want to find yeah. them. <laughs> the best parts of Skyrim is where somebody goes to you, yeah, you're gonna need to go to Solitude, that's up north, right? And you've never been there before, so you're like, well, okay. And you follow this winding path, and you see these stunning vistas, and you're like, oh, this is nice, and you sort of get lost in a little adventure. And then uh, you get there, and you're like, well, guess I'm here. That's all the towns. Guess I'll never get that experience again. It's just boop, 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 popping back and forth between the maps. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I feel that's really depressing about Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. When was the last time you played a game and you're like, wow, this really feels like a living, breathing world that you could get lost in? Because for me, it was Oblivion, and that was a long time ago. The last... Uh, that was... That, that is a long while. time ago. Well, uh, yeah. the last... Well, I mean, I was going to say, uh, Oprah Den is the last one that I feel like this world exists wholly and completely and it requires nothing from me well i i, I should clarify i i mean like a, a, a like an open world yeah like, yeah, an like open an world that something. successfully created the illusion of being like a living breathing place uh this is exactly why i'm bringing it up because the witcher is that world the, the witcher hmm. the the fact that it has no fast travel system is exactly why it's so uh, memorable to me to me all, already because I'm stuck in Fazima, right? Fazima is a dirty yeah. old time, which I, in any other game, I'm in, indoctrinated. I am ready to fast travel to every location because that gets the game done faster, surely, right? Mm-hmm. But by removing that option, that doesn't lessen my experience. And, like, it, it's the kind of thing, right, where you get so attached to the details of this town. And this is just one town in a long list of towns where you start to notice the details, like the thought put into the architecture, the little details mm. like constantly hovering crows, where you go from, your thoughts go from, God, this dirty town is super samey too, by sheer blunt force of spending a lot of time there, you start to notice, hmm, seems the rats are late to get at this stray corpse. Someone must have died mm. on the east side today. That kind uh, of stuff. You, you get to know the nuances. Exactly. Uh, I feel The Witcher really, by having a, a good attention to detail and by removing the option to skip that detail, you start to believe its world better. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that really enhances the experience. And I'm not sure if this is going to hold up for the second and third game because I have a feeling they probably have a little more modern design. Although, to be fair, uh, I, I watched basically the speedrunner's version of Wild Hunt 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, not that I took in any details of the story because mercifully they skipped all of that, so that's good. Um, yeah. And uh, I didn't even really understand where the hell they were by the end of the game. So I like I, I not even that it was like scary from where they were. It just looked like the rest of how The Witcher feels. So that does that doesn't worry me. But I like that to really play it in speedrun. They basically had a slight exploit that made Geralt run like a fucking madman, but they didn't fast travel. And basically, mm-hmm. fast travel didn't factor in a lot into how they got that game to run as fast as it could, which makes me wonder was fast, fast travel, travel too slow? We must go fast speed! Yeah, I think for me it was it was definitely Oblivion, because Oblivion was the first game where, you know, I'd get busted for stealing something, and then uh, I'd be basically chased out of town. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the guards in that game, mimetically so, are known for being very dogged, shall we say. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh, I ran out of town, I swam across a great lake. Uh, <laughs> you thought that would be enough. <laughs> I, I stirred across the horizon at back of the town. I could see the guards like in their stupid swimming animation and their full plate <laughs> mail still coming towards me. I was like, "Oh shit, better get out of here!" And I just kept running, and I never, f- I never felt quite safe. <laughs> and then uh, I never, I later returned at that time, and uh, there was a bounty on my head. I didn't know about the bounty system, sure. So one of them went, "Wait a minute, it's you! You <laughs> stole some items!" And I was like, "Oh shit, they remember me! Oh my goodness!" Wow. And. Uh, Mind-blowing for the day. It was mind-blowing. I was like, oh, they remember me. Oh, <laughs> shit, I'm in trouble. And uh, and then, you know, the, the Benny Hill sequence would begin where uh, I'd be like, right, this this Thieves Guild quest requires me to go to Breville, but that's no good. I'm a wanted man in Breville. <laughs> so every time every time I would go to Breville, it would be a situation... A Benny Hill sequence would occur where guards would spot me. Uh-huh. And I know... And they're not hostile yet. Because they haven't had the uh, the actual encounter mm. where they say to you, you're under arrest, at which point your options are submit or run away. Mm-hmm. But but at, at that point, they become hostile. But until they talk to you and say, hey, it's you, you're under arrest, they don't become hostile, but they still chase you. Mm-hmm. So this hilarious Benny Hill sequence incur- uh, occurs where... You know, with me with my high acrobatic score and I'm trying to game the geometry on the buildings where I never want to touch the ground because they'll get me. So, I'm running around time with them chasing me, but not hostile. Mm. Like just these unstoppable Terminators in full plate mail <laughs> who I don't want to talk to even though I could probably beat them because I don't want to fight them. And they'll, they'll just inconvenience me going, stop, you violated the law. And I, you know, yeah. You stealth around, you be as sneaky as you can because the game's actively encouraging you to be sneaky and stealthy. And then you you run, you make a break for it, you get into the house that you're trying to get to, they get talk to the quest giver, and you're like, oh, 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 fuck, oh. and then you talk to the guy and you're like, right, I have to go to the back outside. And then you have to split out of town as quickly as you can, or if it's nighttime, try to sneak your way out. And I think that was the most immersed I've been in the game world wow. up until that point or since. Oblivion did have fast travel, didn't it, though? It did, but... It uh, didn't make any fucking odds when you were in combat and or wanted a wanted man within the city perimeters, right? Yeah. But that's the beauty, right? Like, a good fast travel system has limits. But by Skyrim, like, you know... There's no... You there's could, basically, you can walk 50 meters from the nearest enemy and get the fuck out of there. Yeah, and you can you can see... By Skyrim, like, I knew all the tricks. Mm. I could see the code behind the eyes of every NPC 
Especially because, you know, a lot of the quests in Skyrim were just some variation of talk to quest giver, go to cave, fight Droger, retrieve artifact, go back to quest giver, free mm. shortcut <laughs> that brings you back to the beginning of the cave, quest completed, and uh, that got very tiresome. Yep. Not for me, because I sunk maybe 200 hours into that game, but I agree in general. Uh, in terms Never of beat it. Still haven't beat it. One game, though, that I think damningly overuses it, over overuses fast travel, is the one I've already spoken of, The Outer Worlds. Oh, really? That's a game that didn't need it. Didn't need it. Um, those maps aren't massive. They're not Skyrim. We have to consider what, uh, what it's, what, you know, we complain that there's fast travel because we think that it hurts the immersion, but you have to consider how much grief they're going to get for not including fast travel I from other people. I generally agree, and that's why I'm, I, I make the case that limited fast travel, like in Red Dead Redemption's, uh, sort of, they had a campfire system where you could go back to where you were, but you can't jump to towns except for your carriage thing that you mentioned. Or Yakuza's taxi system gets you to the edge of town, but not straight to your destination. I think we, I think we can agree that a system to get around slightly faster is a good idea, but mm. one that just lets you jump Skyrim style to places you've been, including your own ship at the very start of the world is maybe a little much. Nah, it takes a lot of the journey. I... Exactly. And the whole thing with the Outer Worlds is that you're supposed to feel like you're in this place that's hostile, and you can't just back out of it. You're always delving deeper and deeper into the unknown. And the fact that you can just teleport immediately back to your ship for safety and then move to somewhere else that's even safer, it kind of really defeats the experience a little bit. Like I said, opening this, busy people... You want to get on with a big old RPG. We want to talk about the Outer Worlds and not get lost in the fucking weeds a little bit. I understand that you want to do that, but to be fair... I You want to enjoy the ride. Yeah, I started the Outer Worlds by... Before I realized there was this through a fast travel system, I mm -hmm. played for the first big area without that, and I walked from A to B, and I really, really enjoyed that first part. And you probably can tell by the, the latter parts of those episodes when I started talking about the Outer Worlds and the latter part of the game that I uh, kind of lost a little bit of my interest in it all. And that's because I went mm. to the next bunch of planets and was immediately able to teleport from A to B without even one consideration for the struggle involved in getting from A to B. And I definitely feel that still from the experience of what was very specifically a game about being a person who was a spacefaring adventurer who could do whatever the fuck they wanted, uh, but they had to fight for it, you know, uh, to be able to just teleport back to your ship at any given time, any sense of danger actively undermined the experience uh, which is unfortunate. It didn't destroy the experience of the game. I still feel like, in general, I enjoyed it. But now I'm playing The Witcher and, and having to walk from A to B and slowly earn my place in that world, I am definitely feeling that The Outer Worlds was a game that could have made fast travel a lot more limited. It's because real world has bits of drudgery in it. Yep. And if you want to create a world that you can get lost in, it needs to have drudgery in it. You're right. It's just that... You know, people don't like drudgery, but hey, that's the that's how it is on this bitch of an earth. Yeah, that's right. Bring it back. <laughs> We're moving on to news. Okay. Do you have a jingle for us? 
Do 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 the news. Do 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 the news. There you go. It's pretty good. Very tasteful. Yeah, you can thank Miles Davis for that one. What do you want to start with? Small news, big news. Well, I suppose uh, I've got a a one that might not be in your list, which is Near Replicant. It is my list. Coming to PS4, Xbox One. That's not the name of that game. Its name is Near Replicant version 1.22474487139 ellipses. Oh yes, how could I forget about Yoko Tano's, uh, shall we say, idiosyncratic approach to naming uh, his expanded editions. So, this is perplexing, because I'm not entirely sure what this game is. I know what Near is, and I know what Near Replicant is. I know what Near, uh, what's the one, Gestalt is. But this... He's been very canny about this on Twitter. He says, forget what you know, or so forget the past, or everything you know, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if this is a reference to the fact that this game is like a remix in the sort of Final Fantasy VII remix kind of way, or if it's meant to be just a remake, except they're not having uh, old man near, <laughs> they're using young man near. Yeah. Uh, which, which region was old man near? He was, he was the western region, right? He was the West. Uh, Papa Nier was West, yeah, yeah, and uh, Nissan Nier was Japan, yeah, because, yeah. of course... I think that that's so safe a bet that you can assume we're talking about Final Fantasy Remix terms. I mean, like, think about it. This is the guy that literally makes games that just have endings upon endings. Like, uh-huh. it, does, it doesn't make sense for him to, to remake a whole game and to not even bother to, 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 re, to rethink, to overthink the material inherent. But, but even so, like, for reasons that I cannot articulate because they are spoilerific to an extreme, him's going, forget about the past, forget <laughs> about Papanier, is like, it could mean literally fucking anything. This puts me in a terrible quandary. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> because I watched a Let's Play of the original Nier. Oh my Nier, god. Uh, Gestalt, and I was, you know, I had been advised by the people who had played it that the story is great, uh, but it doesn't play fantastic. Yes. It could be a lot better. So I was happy to simply watch the Let's Play and let that be, you know, I'm happy to have watched it. I get it. I don't have to worry about playing the first one. Because I had been specifically advised. I got the story. And I had been advised. Don't worry about the gameplay. And I was like, fine. That's fine. I can just go straight on to Automata. Once I'm finished working my way through, you know, the Platinum back catalog. And then Yoko Taro says, ah, got you. You thought then, it was easy, didn't then, you? <laughs> Yoko Taro goes, guess what, bitch? Here I come. Here come. Never mind that shit. Here comes Mongo. And now I'm trapped in this quandary of, okay, so <laughs> should I... Which one do I play first? Do I play Automata first? The answer or is yes. Or do I play the new Nier Replicant first? The answer is absolutely yes. I, I'm just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I guess. Gonna, You're going to have to hear the consensus from the community. Yeah, I'm just going to have. I'm just going to go to the subreddit and go, guys, don't, don't say shit. Don't tell me a fucking thing. Just give me a number. First or last? Which one do I play first or last? I'll be like, this one. And I'm like, thank you, say no more, bye. And uh, they'll have no problem with that, because I'm probably the 50th person that week who had asked that question. Yeah, I think we can safely assume you're going to have to play all three. But, lucky you, you've already technically, mentally played near the original. Yeah. Near Gestalt, I have filed away under the experienced folder, so I don't have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, that seems fair. Still, uh, I mean... If they're remastering near replicant and they fix the gameplay problems and they make it more akin to 
I would imagine then that's hardly going to be a problem for me to play because that's a great game. So I guess the the concern here comes in: Does Replicant unnecessarily yank stuff from Automata that only makes sense in some sort of post-Automata gameplay? Yeah. What I'm afraid of is there some kind of awful Ouroboros <laughs> that leads into the other that's designed yes. specifically to the great brain like, worm that eats itself. <laughs> yes, it's the great brain worm that eats itself. So it's like. Which one do I play? Which one comes first? No. Each one of them feeds into the other one glorious loop where there is no origin. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, to see the squirm before the worm. It's beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. The worm turns. The conqueror worm. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's that's good news for me. I mean, terrible news for you. It's very confusing. Must be a whole ordeal. <laughs> I'm just going to have to wait and see. That's simply how it is. Uh, lesser news also, but also related to our most popular tweet ever, somehow, to date, is uh, Yakuza movie is in production. Yes. Uh, well, I have I, adopted the, the sensible approach to this, which is, it ain't real until I see a trailer. <laughs> until I see a trailer, this thing doesn't exist. You knew it would happen. We both said it at the time. Yeah, the, the, the incredibly overconfident uh, Sega movie ident that they had before the Sonic movie, where they were basically pointing at the stands like Babe Ruth going, we're going to hit a home run here, babe. <laughs> Look at all this stuff. here Coming your way. All these slick IPs just ripe for movie adaption. And we were like, uh-huh, Yeah, maybe. Uh-huh. Maybe, I guess. We'll see, hope we. <laughs> I think we were just happy to see Kazuma Kiryu's face in an actual movie. Like, this, is, uh-huh, this man's face is in DVDs in kids' homes across the globe. That's wonderful. Mm. Uh, but to think that this is this could potentially actually go somewhere, and that he actually might get a might get a film adaptation that has carries the same ident. I mean, that's pretty fascinating. But I think you're right. I think uh, the sensible human being would say, I mean, there already is a Yakuza movie, uh, mm-hmm. like a dragon, I believe it's called. So this is not new for Yakuza, but given. Their, their dealings with the West and Sonic's success, they might be inclined for this next Yakuza film to be a uh, a little bit more accessible, let's say. Oh, you don't want that. You don't have to be accessible. I know, which you want, defeats the you want it to be as You want it to be as alienatingly Japanese as possible. I know, which is, which is what makes me think we might really get it, it just won't be very good. Well, I mean, that's more or less what we would expect from the onset, isn't it? Yeah, it's a safe bet. It's a very, very safe bet. All I've got left on my side is the big news. So if you've got any interim uh, stories, hit hit me up. For for once, Lawrence is the harbinger of good news. (laughs) Well, that's exciting. From the ashes of Lab Zero. Oh, I glorious Phoenix. Future Club. Is that what they ended up calling it? The new studio is Future Club, and it is a worker owned co op. Which means yes. that uh, the shares or the, I guess, the, the profit shares are shared out equally amongst the workers in a glorious workers' utopia. Truly. This is something that I've heard a couple of studios, mostly French, have, uh, have attempted in the past, is this uh, profit share. I have no frame of reference for this kind of uh, company hierarchy. I have no I, I don't know anything about it other than it that other companies have done it and that it works. Yeah. And uh, I would like to see more of them, if that is the case, because it sounds too good to be true. Truly. It sounds like the sort of half-brained, like, idea that, like, a student socialist club made up and tried 
and it never really got off the ground. Yes, no, there. I, I, this this did make the news uh, maybe a year or two ago that I, a prominent French studio, which name escapes me, was trying out the same thing and uh, was doing pretty well for itself. Last I heard, maybe it's totally mm. in the bin at the moment. I mean, it can, <laughs> may, yeah, maybe our our point is undermined, and the reason why we can't remember is because it got shit canned like a month into the project. Could be. I guess. I guess we'll just have to see. I'm up. I'm fairly optimistic. Future club. Very, very exciting news. I'm very glad that they didn't just drop it all together and go their separate ways. I think the band was a little too good for that. Yeah, too too much talent in one place. Yeah, and they already have an established working relationship. It'd be like, come on, everyone, everyone. I don't want to say saw it coming, but was sort of hope, hope, like secretly hoping that it would go that way. It's like, come on, yeah, you know, you do, it. do do lab one, do lab one, <laughs> yeah. and they basically. They've done Lab 1, but it's Future Club. I guess they didn't want to... They wanted to separate themselves completely from the taint. And just as I brought good news, it also brought bad news. <laughs> Michel Ancel. Okay. All right. This is technically follow-up, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Now, uh, we were very, very cocky, weren't we? <laughs> we, we? We framed his retirement from Ubisoft last week as... Uh, the last, the retirement of the last of the DJs, the last of the OGs, one of the last good guys leaving the company <laughs> to escape a toxic good working course. environment. But uh, that wasn't entirely the case. Now, rest assured, you know, our standards may be low, but very uh, low. he didn't sexually assault anyone, so that's good. That's very good. <laughs> no, he was merely your bog standard uh, bad manager, yeah. you know, crunch, uh, toxic workplace, uh, overtime, things like that. He was merely a, a, ba- a bad manager who works his employees to the bone. That's all. <laughs> That's all. At least according to uh, a a French magazine which is about to release or has already released by this point a expose on the matter itself. So, hey, whatever. I guess he didn't rape anyone. That's good. Good job, Michel. Good job. Jesus. <laughs> That is perfectly sour news, Lawrence. Well done. You know, this, you know it's, mm-hmm. it's this kind of stuff that makes me think, hmm, we should put the the, 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 the news section last in the episode. And thus the balance is restored. Mm. With one hand, Lawrence gives, and with the other, he takes away. <laughs> all right, let's get into the big news. Lee, take it away. All right, all right. So, I originally wrote in my, my little news tracker uh, this following sentence that I literally updated without really updating. It said, Game Pass gets Bethesda. No, I'm sorry, they bought them? Microsoft has announced the complete acquisition of ZeniMax, that is to say, the parent company behind Bethesda. This makes uh, the relationships between certain studios rather complicated, because one of those studios is Arcane, which is currently making Deathloop, which, as I understand it, is a PlayStation exclusive, which is a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and uh, as I understand it, they are continuing that that remains the case because i guess they have to honor their contracts with sony and apparently bethesda says that their games will continue to be console multiple co- multiple platforms which is perplexing i suppose i'm sure this because, is uh, a, this is surely in the short term with their prior obligations i'm sure they're referring to i imagine that must be the case so they're go- they're probably going to uh, even so elder scrolls might I, I have mixed feelings about this because on the other hand, if Microsoft exerts their level of quality assurance, <laughs> it reassures a lot of the fears that I had regarding the Elder Scrolls Six, mm-hmm. which I was mm-hmm. cautiously looking forward to. Mm-hmm. 
but it also might mean that it it won't come out on PlayStation. Yeah, that is the that is the big if. I mean, it'll almost certainly come out on PC, and by that point, hopefully, I will have a sufficiently powerful gaming PC in order to play it. So I'm not terribly worried. Yes, I can't. I can't help but feel very snug. <laughs> I have to say, though, uh, roughly around the same time that this announcement was made, Bethesda also announced uh, the, a major overhaul of the creation engine in anticipation of Elder Scrolls Six. Interesting. Which, uh, I don't know what that means. Sounds like they're starting from because, scratch. Um, I wouldn't be too sure of that. Because if they just say they're overhauling it, that means, oh, they're just, they're taking the, they're just retrofitting it to be more appropriate for the modern days and the needs of the modern game systems. Which you'd think surely but they've done before now, right? They did it from Oblivion to Skyrim. Yes, which was a long time ago. And yes, uh, in fact, a whole generation ago, and now two generations mm-hmm. ago. So this, uh, I mean, I have very little faith in the creation engine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bad. Just been, <laughs> yeah, it's very I mean, bad. I, I, my condolences to all the technical people who've had to work on it over at Bethesda because I'm sh- like the spaghetti code must be unendurable. My goodness. <laughs> Apparently, there had been a lot of internal pressure for this to happen for some time, but, you know, higher-ups were like, well, the games keep selling, so nope, you don't get the investment you need. So, I guess we'll just have to see. A lot of, a lot of questions up in the air regarding this one. Yeah, very exciting to speculate. Very fun. Mm-hmm. Like, will Microsoft kick out Todd Coward to get... Get real no. chopped on. There, nah, he's too much of a mascot. I agree. I agree. To- Todd's untouchable. He's but that, untouchable. That, that cheeky smile of his, who could kick him out of that company? I couldn't. I have to say, this is a terrible blow to pundits like us because uh, it now means that there won't be any more Bethesda press conferences for us to point and laugh oh, at. You're right. They've all been. They've all been. Incorporated into the great mass that is Microsoft. Somebody, somebody will step up and take the place, though. I mean, this always happens. I'm sure. I mean, Bethesda, when he started this maybe three years ago, we have the true opportunity for somebody to just get in there. I mean, who 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 has the hubris? BlizzCon might be too expensive for the future. What if what if Activision Blizzard get in there? You know, that'd be pretty uh, hilarious. Well, I mean, well, I mean, they already do that. But that's, with BlizzCon, but that's what I mean, they? right? What if BlizzCon is now? too expensive and not what if for whatever reason activision blizzard decide that having a live audience in their uh, their press conferences <laughs> is no longer such a, a good idea and have decided to do a completely under their control pre-rendered uh press conference seems feasible seems like it would happen this february at BlizzCon Online, or whatever the hell they're calling it because that's what i've heard <laughs> most likely this could be the proving grounds for it uh, in any case, this is pretty on point for Microsoft. I mean, uh, do you remember when the the Xbox 360 came out? They bought Rare. Oh yeah, that's right. And when the the Xbox One came out, they purchased a whole bunch of companies. They they Did bragged they? about it. it was like Obsidian and Double Fine and a couple of others. This was real late into Xbox One though. That wasn't actually that's that wasn't true. launched. That was like last year or the year before. Well, it's a recognizable strategy of theirs. So, yeah. You know. Halo Infinite isn't doing too good right now. It's like, oh no, my exclusive is ruined. But what if I were to purchase other studios' games <laughs> and pass them off as my own exclusives? 
delightfully devilish Bill Gates, uh, who no longer works there, but you, you know, know what I, I mean? You know I love a Simpsons reference. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is kind of awkward, isn't it? Because got- Obsidian and Bethesda are now both under the same aegis again. Oh, yeah. That's... Cue all the memes of uh, that bit from oh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Dennis and uh, the other guy are staring at each other from across the, the fancy restaurant going, what are you doing here? We spoke a lot about um, Obsidian's lunch-stealing capacity. Uh, well, now, uh, well, now it's it might be Fallout New Vegas 2 might be in the works. Well, not in the works, but it's on the table again. The cards are on the table. Uh, so if somebody I'll, asked them on Twitter... I'll, yeah, I know. I've seen that, and they got a little shrug emoji. It was pretty cute. It's like, uh, your guess boy. is as good as ours. But, you know, I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but uh, Obsidian's work with Bethesda in Fallout New Vegas... It was bitterly dictated in terms of success by Metacritic scores. I wonder if they're over it, you know? No, I think that like uh, a lot of the bad blood between them has been exaggerated and that this story, the, the Metacritic story, was somewhat didn't it misrepresented. Didn't it I remember hearing payment? that that... <sighs> I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you can't get more directly effective to a whole development team than their money. <laughs> So, I remember two things about this story. When it first came out, and everybody was outraged, and then uh, a few years later, it turns out that it was a lot more nuanced than we remember. The problem is, is that I can't remember what those nuances Ooh. are, so I'm, so I'm too scared to commit to anything. That's, let's say, to fair to follow up. Yeah, that's a follow up. So, hold our feet to the fire if we don't bring it up next episode, so, folks. Sounds good, sounds good. I guess the only, the only thing to really iterate... Is just how shit this is for everybody, really. I mean, like, it's fun to be coy. It's fun to be, mm. like, teasing and like, ooh. Bethesda was a big company for multi-console launches, you know, like, cross-platform. That's That yeah. was a, a company that benefited gaming as a whole, now squirreled away under one banner. Which, you know, technically two banners. It's no, we, can, well, we can agree that no matter the circumstances here, this is a... This is a general loss for consumer autonomy. Yes, I suppose so. I mean, Todd has, you know, gone on record to say that Bethesda games will still be publishing their own games and that they will continue to be cross-platform, but I don't understand how that can be the case. Exactly. And I'm almost certain that, you know, Microsoft didn't make that purchase for no reason and almost certainly at some point in the future might not be Elder Scrolls 6, but... Maybe from that point onwards, it's going to be coming to Xbox, whatever the fuck it is that they call it by that point, because Jesus Christ, these names are terrible. <laughs> I guess that's another news story that, uh, what was it, Xbox One X went, uh, sales went up by something like 700%. Uh-huh, because, almost certainly because people were purchasing the wrong fucking console. Yes, absolutely the case. Which is f- and you saw the the hard drive article where copies of the film American History X have skyrocketed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're totally right. I feel like there's no reason. That, yeah, they didn't buy it for no reason. If they're not going to play the exclusivity chip now, it's it's more than likely an inevitability. You shoot the tide turn. Well, that uh that story has ended on a, a somber, uncertain. And bittersweet tone. Do you have any other news stories, Lee? No, actually. Yeah, that was that was it. Well, don't worry. Here I come to the rescue, because oh. I have tactically sequestered away a secret news item that I had just in case we ended on too somber a tone. 
Baba Is You was just awarded the Game Designers Award at the Japan Game Show by Sakurai himself. What? Hooray! Golf clap! Golf, Golf clap. clap! I thought Baba Is You was slightly older than just last year. It really is last year released. Yeah, time is convoluted in 2020. Hmm. In any case, uh, that's the that's a night now that I have finished Tyranny, and I'm making a hard pivot to short form uh, games <laughs> for Vectorman. I'm going to be making. I'm. It, this was a, a much needed boot up the arse to remind me that Baba is used the same thing is a, a thing that is still existing, and it is on my hard drive still installed. So I should get back to it. Nice work. Nice work. Uh, it, it almost feels nostalgic <laughs> hearing it. Mm-hmm. It's been so long since yeah. mentioned. It's probably well. I mean, if you're a listener who's been listening to us on the uh, the live stream on uh, twitch.tv slash Vectorman Live, well done. Then. <laughs> This will be seamless for you because by the time that the latest episode comes out, you've probably just finished listening to the episode where I talk about Babo's You for the first time. <laughs> so true. Also, randomly nostalgic. After listening to a bunch of those episodes, I realized that the the <laughs> racial equality bundle existed, and uh, remembered that there were at least like four or five named games that I had never touched that were in that bundle that I have now downloaded. Uh, and now stuff like Pyre might finally be be part of the podcast and experience. Pyre's a good time. Uh, so, Pyre's a good time. You know, like I know we've got a lot of. I'm 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 starting to build cubby holes here. Too many cubby holes. Mm. A house of cubby holes. Yeah, too many. It's gonna fall. It's gonna it's gonna fall over. Like a house built around cubby holes seems parasitic in nature. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume no. it can't function. No, it's like the Winchester house. I don't know what that means. Oh, uh, do you know that old story about the the widow of the Winchester Gun Empire was schizophrenic, or she was haunted by the ghosts of victims of Winchester rifles? So she built a house that was chaotic, and uh, it was always under construction, and there was doors that led nowhere, and stairways into like death traps, into like pits, so that the ghosts would always get confused and never be able to get her. No, I wasn't. The Winchester House. I was never aware of this, but I see there is a YouTube page. Mm. Well, I will leave that to you then. Sounds good. Check in next week on follow up. I'm going to talk about the Minch- the Winchester Mystery House. Uh, you're, mm. you're you're fucking at the edge of your seat now, aren't you? See you next week. Hail Kairos. That was a lot of wasted time. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um. You're liking how I'm not using 100% anymore? I'm, I, even I'm impressed. <laughs> I have noticed. Uh, I noticed that you've been varying it up quite a bit with... Exactly, and of course... It's not um, even intentional anymore. I, completely. I just, I've just written the word out of my mind. Uh, and now that I've listened to some of our older episodes via our, our live streaming, I, uh, I, I'm even more amazed as to how the hell I've managed to make this work because <laughs> it was so... I've started the... Uh, this is a tangent... But I've started to wonder if it was coming from a nervous place. Most likely. You know, like where you, you hang on to your word in terms of... Falling on, falling back on verbal tics. Yeah, yeah. It's not even one that... It was one that I developed in the last year or so, but I, it was certainly one that I feel like just because podcasting in our form with the two of us was so new and so fresh... So I was like, mm. every time I'm listening to you, I'm giving you the 100% because I'm 100% listening to you. I'm panicking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, we're, we're seasoned veterans now. We don't fall for such such things, such lowly tricks. Exactly. Isn't it? Aren't you, aren't you glad that you have such an unsympathetic and scathing <laughs> co-host to to point out your weaknesses for all to see? Absolutely. You know that's that reminds me of 
it's like being with family because my family are uncompromising. Scathing. Any moment of human weakness is seized upon. So you know, it's like being at home now, you and I. <laughs> Listener, when you're with Victor Man, you're with family. <laughs> Unrelenting, merciless family. Thank you.